You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy One Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. As you can see, Zeba Hassan is not joining us today because she's got a lot on her plate. So make the odd that it's really easy for her to juggle all the balls in the air without dropping one or dropping children or forgetting them like I often do. So uh, I just wanted to share really quickly an experience that I had because it, it came to my city and it was the... Um, I want to get the name right. So let me just get the name right correctly for you one time. And it is called Mecca, A Journey Through Time. This is a virtual reality experience. And why I think it's really important is because there is a Muslim woman behind the creation and development of this particular product. And basically, this is quote unquote show. I think a better word is an experience that is touring the world, definitely has been touring the United States. It costs a pretty penny. So if you can get your organizations to come together and pay for it to come, basically there are four seven minute videos that you get to watch with a VR headset or you get to sit in a VR pod. Now the pods are limited, so they sell out really quickly, but they have quite a few VR headsets. If you have any kind of vertigo or vestibular issues, be forewarned, you're going to get really nauseated like I did. So it was like me being on a cruise, but guys, tears. I was weeping. My 11 year old daughter told me after the um, video on Mecca, where you actually get the VR experience of going inside of the Kaaba, you guys like insane. And then never before, never before, never before experience never before experienced experience of anybody who's been to Medina and you have a uterus, you know exactly how hard it is to get back to get on the roda to experience the salam of the Prophet Sallallahu It's the second holiest site in Islam and to be able to go um, to his masjid, his former home, that in itself is so hard like now, but then VR takes you past all the doors and gates, you guys. I cannot even give voice to what you're going to experience on the road to Medina, Amaka. And I, I'm i not going to give it away. I absolutely will not. But A, because I'm going to get emotional about it. And B, it's not to be missed. Please, please, please find out about it. We'll link it in our notes so that you can start organizing with your communities to get it to come out. Um, I know a lot of big names in the Muslim American community have already experienced and already talked about it. I can't say enough. Like, I mean, my 11 year old was so moved. She came up to me after the Mecca video and was like, I wanted to cry mama, but I didn't know why. And I was like, I know baby, I know why you wanted to cry. Cause I mean, I was weeping, 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 weeping. So um, they do a really good job of sanitizing everything and organizing everything. It was like little kids, like teaching me how to go from video to video. Very, very cool. So please do uh, check that out. It is not to be missed. I feel so bad for everybody in my community who missed out on this experience. So we are going to go ahead and bring our May series to a close. Um, as you guys know, this series was about addiction, sex, porn, and other addictions. And some of the addictions that we don't think about, um, I think are food. It is central to our culture. Um, 
I think more and more people are starting to realize that, you know, food addiction really is sent, uh, really is a real thing in our community. Um, you know, for us, food is love. It always has been love. That's how we show our love. That's how we have our fun because we can't do anything illegal. This is our legal, you know, halal fun. So let's do it. But it has morphed into problems for a lot of people. And Zeba and I have talked about our own issues with it here, but you know, we don't know enough about it to speak to it. So we thought, Hey, let's get somebody who actually knows what they're talking about in here because remember that like anything that is addictive, it is affecting actual hormones in your brain, neurotransmitters in your brain. Food is also one of those things. So um, to that end with you know epidemic obesity and diabetes just right around the corner coming in 2030 um, to the globe, it's really important for us to start talking and um, uh, an old, what? how would I say it? An old contact from my alma mater said that she would help us out. Her name is Samiha Huck. And um, I guess the way to introduce her is a recovering food addict because all addicts are recovering, right? Like your entire life, you never stop recovering. So I'm going to let Samiha introduce her professional and personal uh, resume to you guys, and then we'll get started. Assalamualaikum, Samiha. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell well, the audience um, a little bit about yourself, my friend. So I um, am the super, I guess, science geek that I have um, multiple degrees in science. Um, and I, you know, like so, and then I worked in pharmacy since 2007. Um, right now I'm working with um, Village MD through their um the doctors to get their like their um, prescriptions and everything taken care of um, for that side. Um, so it's kind of like interesting. It's a new little journey. I have two little kids and I am a um, Girl Scout mom. So like every other weekend I'm like somewhere. So this weekend, past weekend, we were camping and I hurt my leg. So my leg is like all situated up. Um, yeah, I like I heard something in the woods. It was kind of dark and I just face planted just. Because I lost my balance. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I don't go camping with the Girl Scouts. (laughs) So um, luckily it was like a scrape and a bruise. But yes. um, And luckily it was just me, not any other girls. So girls, if you ask any of them, they were like excited about everything. Tell us uh, a little bit about these beautiful kids of yours, whatever you're comfortable sharing about them and your momming philosophy. So um, I'm very kind of like a hands-off mom. People will go to me and be like, you don't follow your kids, you know? So it's like, no, I kind of let them do their own thing, make their mistake, and then we talk about it, you know? And I mean, they are small. So, I mean, I will be like guiding them through different things. But um, like this past um, Girl Scout thing, it was just the leaders and their kids. And I have a... um, third grader and a first grader so the first grader was in her own cabin with her own little girls and I would see her periodically but like um when all the third graders the rest of them they were like oh I'm going home now I was like I'm not going to be here by myself in my own cabin I'm going to go and come back in the morning and like and so like my rest of my family is like you left your first grader by herself I'm like she's not by herself she's fine Mm-hmm. I'll see her in the morning. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that far. And they were like, yeah. you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was like the end of the world for a lot of them. But she's fine. I love it. I love it. It yeah. happens, you know, like um, 
we get that kind of judgment from our community, but I love that our, I feel like our generation of moms is changing that narrative of your kid has to be tied to your waistline or you have to be tied behind him all the time and be that helicopter mom. Hey, if it works for you, great. But for those of us who are more laid back, and like I said at the beginning, I've often forgotten my children at events, but they weren't alone. Like they were always with somebody. So that loved them and cared for them until I figured out that they were missing. So it, it's okay. They, they don't know. You know, at some point when they do realize, they just think it's really funny. Like, mama, you're so irresponsible and that's okay. So um, let's go ahead and roll right into this and talk about um, maybe some of your family background and were there seeds or something, uh, food addiction planted, or what was your experience of food addiction in those early years in your family? How did it develop? How'd you figure out that you had it? So... Like, I actually found out is because it's like, um, I'd go in and I'd get like these stressed out things. And I realized that after a while, like, like the weight would creep on. So I'd go to the doctor and she'd be like, everything's fine. You still work out. You do this, but you're stressed out. What are you doing differently? And I'm like, well, I walk by the kitchen and I grab something to eat. And she's like, okay, this is what's going on is you're eating something and you're not you know, taking care of that. And it's just, you know, you're mindlessly, you know, paint, you know, eating and like eating your emotions instead of, um, you know, dealing with what's going on. And so um, she didn't really call it like an addiction. She just said, focus on your life. You need to focus. Mm -hmm. You need to, you know, start doing, you know, this if you're in your, you know, and then I'm like, well, I need to eat food with I'm taking my medications. And then she's like, no, you need to, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go and schedule yoga for each day. We're going to, you know, schedule like, you know, a massage, you know, get rid of that pain. You have to make sure that you're, you know, going through other things. And I'm like, okay. And then you have to write down everything you eat, you know? And then when I realized mm-hmm. it was like, and I was like, I don't, why would I need this? I just eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't eat anything else. And when I actually sat down for like a few days and write down, oh, wait, you know, when I came home, I had a snack. Then I had dinner. Then when I put the kids to bed, when I went to the kitchen to get thing, I had something else. And all these are catching up, mm-hmm. you know. And then COVID happened and the gym is closed or the parks are full. And it's like, oh, this park is too full. Let's go past it and go to another one. Oh, it's Texas. It's like, you know, 120 in the car. Let's Let's not go outside. <laughs> let's try to walk around somewhere else, you know. And so it wasn't enough to like burn off whatever I was eating and like the weights kind of grabbed out enough that like, you know. So you're talking specifically about COVID when this became a problem? It's not necessarily become a super problem like there. It was always kind of there where it would be my emotions, but it's become so much more exasperated during this time period. Where it's like before that, it would be like, I'm younger, I'd go out and, you know, okay, let's go walk a little bit more, you know, this week, Mm -hmm. you know, like stress out, you know, do something else with your um, stress. But during this time, it was like, you're more isolated, you're in, you know. So that was what was happening outside. You had all of these barriers to activity. And so tell me about what was happening indoors. Like, were you still cataloging your food during the COVID uh, pandemic? 
I wasn't until I saw like my last doctor and then I realized that I'm actually doing this because like I had a lot like health conditions going on where like it's still not diagnosed. It's just kind of controlled in a way. And then a lot Mm -hmm. of other stressful things that were going on with um, like a, you know, house repairs, relationships, everything that's kind of piled up on top of each other. And my go to is to, you know, either like make some nachos or I bake. Mm -hmm. And so if I'll bake, then I'll go and nibble throughout doing that. And, you know, in any holiday, oh, Samiha, can you go and, you know, like the teachers will go, oh, are you making for the teachers your cheesecake? And then I'll have, oh, yes, for Thanksgiving, make cheesecake or go and make, you know, brownies or cupcakes or, you know. Or my friends will be like, oh, are we making, are you, you're coming, right? It's a potluck. Can you go and bake something? And it's, you know, and those things are, we'll make it. And there's like two dozen, you know, how, like one and a half dozens are made. There's other six left. And I can't, if I can't get rid of them, I'll, you know, eat them slowly. So. Okay. You'll eat them slowly. So when you, um, you alluded to some health problems that came up during COVID. And so that um, precipitated you going to the physician. Yes. What did the physician and you discuss and did food addiction come up at this point after you showed her your catalog, your food diary? So she, she basically did not mention food addiction. She said that I need to be more mindful of what I do. Like I have to not stress that I'm under a lot of stress because, you know, because all it is is like, oh, you would go and you would get an MRI or you'd get a CT scan. Oh, well, let's go and add this. Oh, let's go and see this, you know, specialist. And then you'd be like, oh, you're still I understand you're stressed out. Let's, you know, just be more mindful of what you do. And it was something like, you know, and then I'm like, well, I'm gaining weight. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, try, you know, and it was just like she always circumvented the problem, you know. Mm. And then she goes, you're stressed out. We understand you're stressed out, but you need to not, you know, like, you know, just be more mindful of what you do. And that's all she would say, you know. And so it was kind of like, OK, we need to figure out there is a problem. I cannot be gaining, you know, this much weight on this, like, you know, I am like this little short little kid. So, um, yeah, when I, t- I took a hiatus and taught for like a year and I was confused for a teenager and I was like, I'm not a teenager. I wish, but no, I'm not a teenager anymore. Like not in the last 20 years, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 And so. Um, so this is something that you naturally kind of came to because you felt like your doctor was being straight with you? Yeah, she would always like circumvent the problem. She's like, yes, I understand you're stressed out. I understand that we don't know what's wrong. But, you know, you Mm -hmm. need to be just more mindful of everything you do. And it was just like, okay, what does this mean? What's going on? What do I do? You know. I want to provide some insight to that. And that's because in the medical community, food addiction is like one of the newer ones, right? Even though if we go back and we look um, and I'm not sticking up for doctors, like don't, you know, <laughs> I mean, I would, but I'm not going to, because I, I don't think that that helps anybody if we don't uh, address what's going on. But basically what I want to offer is um, that in the medical community, food addiction is not really um, as uh, easy to diagnose. Cause you know, I didn't learn the tools to help diagnose it, but they, they do exist. So I wanted to, um, share some of the things that I was reading about it 
um, in order to help myself professionally as well as personally, because I think like you, it's like this unnamed thing that we all experience and we don't know, um, you know, we don't name it to tame it. And that's kind of like what this whole month is about on addictions. You've got to name it to tame it, tame it. So food addiction involves the same neurotransmitters in the brain that drugs do and alcohol does. So anything that you do that's interfering in your life and isn't helping you achieve your goals and in this fact is like blocking those goals and affecting your health in a negative way you're because you're so preoccupied with thoughts of it then um that becomes that is an addiction right and so what i wanted to share was also the D, uh, the DSM four, we keep talking about that. Uh, but the DSM four is kind of like the textbook of, uh, the American psychiatric association. This is what doctors use to determine, you know, all kinds of, uh, mental health disorders. And so the diagnostic criteria, according to the DSM four for substance dependence, there are seven. So just bear with me. You've got to have a tolerance. So that means that, you know, like one cupcake isn't going to be enough to me how like I'm going to go ahead and I need two. Um, I've convinced myself I need two. Maybe I need to finish three or no, if I don't finish all six of these now, then tomorrow they're still going to be here to entice me, to encourage me, to um, tempt me. So I should get rid of the temptation right now. Withdrawal symptoms. Now we know that sugar activates the same receptors as cocaine in our brains. So for sugar in particular, you actually go through a withdrawal. And for anybody who's done a lower sugar, lower carb diet, you know that you have that withdrawal where you really feel like you have the body aches, you have the fatigue. And we call that, um, I guess, for people who practice keto, it's keto flu. But for anybody else, I guess it's a sugar flu. I'm not sure. But you have withdrawal symptoms if you remove that substance. So that's not just heroin. You also see it with food. Um, you will see yourself taking the substances in larger amounts over a longer period than you intended. So um, I'm going to start with just a, a scoop of ice cream. But by the end of the episode, I've eaten half the gallon. And if you can... Uh, commiserate with that, then you know what I'm talking about. And maybe you should pay more attention to the last four of these. You have a persistent desire, unsuccessful effort to cut down or control the substance abuse, whether it's cocaine or whether it's, you know, Ben and Jerry's for me or Cheetos. Um, Spend uh, a lot of time obtaining or using the substance to recover from its effects. Giving up social, occupational, and recreational activities because of substance abuse. Now, I think food, in particular in the Muslim community, is different because food actually creates um, social connections and is a type of recreation. If anybody has visited um, Samiha in my hometown, you know that food is like the Muslim like jam over there. And you can get all kinds of amazing things I recently visited my hometown. And I was like, I cannot believe I don't live here where we actually have like a whole city of our mini city of halal food trucks. Like I'm so ticked off, but glad that I'm not there. Um, and then seven continued substance use despite physical or psychological problems. So some of us know from the doctors that our A1C is going up, our cholesterol is going up, our liver functions are starting to get abnormal, yet we still continue the problematic behaviors. We're not changing our oil, we're not changing our fried food because it's Ramadan. Oh, because it's a birthday. Oh, because it's a special occasion. Oh, it's a wedding. So I'm allowed. And we, so we give ourselves a lot of passes. Um, so 
But because food is falling under the same diagnostic criteria here as substance abuse, food addiction is a very real, albeit a newer studied um, type of addiction. And I think to that end, that's why the medical community is so slow to recognize it, name it, and then tame it. Because there is so much fat shaming that happens, particularly in America. People are just, they don't want to go there. You know, they don't want to other anybody else. Um, but when is it fat shaming and when is it actual like medical concern? Like this is a medical concern that we all share with patients. And I don't know if maybe that was kind of the political correctness that your doctor was dancing around. What are your thoughts about why she didn't just come out and say, maybe you're addicted to food versus the whole, the buzzword for the last, what, 10 years has been mindfulness rather than using just that. So I'm not fully like officially obese, but for like my frame, I'm definitely, you know, and I've always had this muscular thing. I've always been outgoing and running around and I used to hide myself under like really baggy clothes. Uzma would know this. I would always wear like the baggy clothes. And so like people would be like, you're wearing a tent. And so like, and randomly I'd get like fitted clothes and they'd be okay. But like, you know, and so my doctor, when she was like checking, she's like, okay, you are now overweight for your thing your muscle mass your body you know the percentage of body fat is higher you know but you know Mm -hmm. you're you're getting you know you're now have hyperlipidemia you need you know you need to watch out you know what you're doing and um Mm -hmm. and it was just until like and it was just like this thing and so she wouldn't like necessarily like you know I don't think she thought it was that much of a problem as long as she just kept saying, okay, you're exercising every day, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know, instead of like saying, okay, this needs to stop right now. You need to, Mm -hmm. you know, that with other stuff, like she would say stuff, you know, but it wasn't like this. So it just kept going and going, you know, that, and Mm -hmm. I honestly think it was just that, you know, she didn't see it as, okay, I'm officially obese or something that, you know, that I can still hide behind, you know, the baggy clothes and, you know, not see it, but it was just, it's always been there. And like, you know, if I'm getting newer health issues, something is up, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So what, when you hear the diagnostic criteria for food addiction, do you think any of that fits you? Yes. Yes. Okay. So like those six cupcakes um, are going to be gone, you know, like I say slowly, yeah. but I mean, it would be done within that day. Like there was a box and then the next day it's not there or like the box of donuts extra, you know, oh, there's donuts on yeah. clearance at like Kroger's. Oh, you know, the kids would yeah. like it. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. the kids. It, the it's kids the, will like it. The, yeah. the mommies are eating. My thing is, if I don't eat it, the kids will eat it. And that's bad for them because they already have genetic high cholesterol. So I'm actually saving my children's life by eating all six cupcakes. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, so of those seven criteria, if you have three or more, then that is um, diagnostic for substance addiction. So if you met three of those seven, I know I did. I did more than three. So I know that I struggle with it myself. And I think a lot of it is when I think of it in childhood, I was very much an emotional drinker. So for me, it was milk. And why milk? Because I don't know if you had this, but in the Muslim community, if at, le- at least in uh, South Asian culture, if a kid drinks milk, oh my God, it's everything. Like it's 
A mother has worn her golden crown studded with emeralds, rubies, and sapphires and diamonds if her child drinks milk. Okay. So I knew that my mom and my dad were so happy with me if I drank my milk. And as a people pleaser, as a natural people pleaser for me, I'm not saying it's a good thing to be a people pleaser, but as a naturally born people pleaser, okay, I'm going to drink milk because it's an easy way to make my parents happy. Plus, it makes me feel really good. So anytime I was happy, anytime I was sad, anytime I was angry, any anything in the world that happened to me, it would be a milk. So there was a gallon of milk in the fridge just for me that I finished every week on my own. Um, and then my parents were always like concerned because I was so damn constipated my whole life because, you know, excess calcium causes constipation. That is something that we learned <laughs> later on in life. My parents never picked up on it, though. But there was that, right? Because I had so much dairy intake. And then it was like a lot of animal fat, which turns out you don't actually need. But, you know, that's where I trace mine back to where food is a place that you go for comfort. The refrigerator is someplace that you go for comfort. And that is something that I realize now that I have struggled with my whole life. And that is why, you know, it was really easy initially for me to lose weight for the first time in my life a few years ago, but I always do go back to food, you know, and that's what happened. Like you said, during the pandemic, there was so much compiled on us and so many, um, assaults that we were facing uh, physically, emotionally, socially, obviously. And so my fallback was the two things, the Ben and Jerry's and Cheetos that I love so much. And I do spend, like there are times when I'm sitting in my pajama, Samiha, like no hijab on. And it's like, I have to have it now. And if I cannot go because it's like, oh, it's too much work to wear the hijab to go down the street to the CVS for it. I will door, door dash that stuff. I will door dash it to my house because oh. you can door dash convenience items for forty dollars. <laughs> can yeah, get so a very expensive ice cream, ice cream yeah. and a bag of Cheetos instead <laughs> of driving for two seconds to get it for ten dollars. Like I have done that, so that's when you know it's like problematic behavior. So these kind of problematic behaviors is what we're talking about when we're talking about food addiction. This episode is sponsored by Guidance Residential. Guidance Residential has helped over 30,000 families achieve home ownership without compromising their faith. Will you be next? Let them help you. Find Guidance Residential both on Facebook and Instagram at Guidance Residential and get your questions answered. Don't let halal home ownership just be a dream to you. Has um, anyone in the community ever talked about bulimia, binge eating, or um, disordered eating patterns that you've heard of? doesn't really mention in our community. We don't like food is always there. So as long as someone's eating the food, all the parents are happy, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and as long as they're eating, that's mm -hmm. not, you know, that. And then even if they even think that you might be eating too much, they will still offer you more food. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're looking a little bit healthy, but have a second, a uh, second serving, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why that is other than, I mean, do people in our community feel so disempowered maybe for, and there's multiple reasons for them to feel disempowered, right? But do they feel so disempowered that they, they don't have anything else to offer us, but what they've made with their hands in the kitchen? I don't know what it is. That's a question I'm yeah. asking. I don't know. I don't know that there's a right answer to it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just... 
Yeah, but they will offer you the, the food instead of, like, maybe not just, you know, talking through it or seeing what's up or, you know, hey, are you okay? Oh, it, the easiest question is, oh, would you, you want another, you know, thing or do you want another plate or, oh, you didn't try this one. You want to try this? You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said uh, if they don't offer you the food, then they have to talk about what's bothering you. Right. They don't want to, they want to know what's bothering you, but they really don't like, cause the conversation is too hard. Right. They don't yeah. want to hear that maybe their daughter is unhappy or maybe that their son is having trouble at work or maybe that somebody is depressed. So it may be just easier to eat the feelings ourselves and even easier to feed the feelings of somebody else instead of feeding their emotional hunger. So I think that that's true. The good news is, is that we do have diagnostic tools for this. Um, you know, again, they're not so well studied. So we have a few questionnaires. I think one of them is called the eating behaviors questionnaire, but that was created for a specific study. And guys, it's so old. It's like over 10 years old. Um, it's back from 2009. And then there's uh, a Yale food addiction scale, and that's been revised a couple of times. But these are things that you can ask your doctor to use or probably just look them up. We can link them in our show notes and score yourself to see where you fall on it. But I think the easiest thing is to look at this DSM-4 criteria and be like, okay, I'm here, but now what steps will I take in order to recover from this addiction? Because we don't know of any 12-step programs for food addiction, right, Samiha? What have you pursued um, in, for recovery, for diagnosis, for recovery, for treatment? There really isn't anything. I mean, you go out there and you, um, so it's like, it's like my doctor says, you have to, like, you know, okay, know why you're eating this and then say, okay, let's go do something else. Or, you know, or say, okay, I'm eating, you know, this and this for breakfast. And then some days is good. Some days is not so good because like today I had, oh, you know, my kid didn't have their soup. You know, like she didn't want to eat breakfast. She had soup, you know, because she has like a new retainer and mouthpieces. So her mouth was hurting. And then she's like, oh, she didn't finish it. Let me finish it. Oh, this is really good. Let me have some more, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and so it, it's just more like, you know, I have to, you know, it's, you know, have those tools to get like the willpower to be like, no, this is, I ate breakfast. Let me wait until snack and like, make sure that I have this healthy snack. Maybe meal prepping might be better, but I mean, there isn't really this like guide. Okay. You know, you cannot do such and such. Um, so yeah, it's just like this little back and forth with the willpower and, you know, the journaling and stuff. So you're touching on a couple of things that are really near and dear to my heart because the whole willpower thing, there's a couple of things. First of all, the in and out concept that whatever goes in has to be burned off and that somehow is equal. And it doesn't work that way. I wish, you know, in and out, like it, it just doesn't like medically to a certain extent, like urine, poop, yes, ins and outs, mm-hmm. they, they help you, but we always know there's a gap. It's not exactly equal. And there are multiple reasons for that scientific reasons and calculations why it's not possible. So there's that. And I'm going to refer everybody to go back to the fit Muslima and follow her online to figure out why that's not true. And then um, the other thing that you touched on was the willpower. So I feel like if there's an addiction, 
willpower really has nothing to do with it anymore because now we're talking about neurotransmitters, right? We're talking about hormones that are being released, chemical reactions that are happening as a result of whatever you've taken in or whatever you've decided to do. Um, You know, now there's cyber addiction, right? People addicted to their devices. So that's going to be a whole nother thing that comes up later. Um, But because we're on this right now, um, because there's, there's hormones involved, are you now responsible, you know, for having willpower? And my belief would be no, because you can't will an addiction away. Right. You know, it's like a disease now because it's actually, I mean, you're a scientist, you know this, right? So now there's, because there's brain chemicals involved, taming those, you can't do it through willpower. Like you need a process and there needs to be, yes, a very mindful and calculated way on overcoming this particular addiction. Now we do talk about it in our lifestyle series. We've taken a break from it on our Patreon right now, but there's a couple of things we talked about and you already talked about one of the most important ones. And I think it's the food journaling. So when uh, you're actively food journaling, what do you notice happening in terms of your eating patterns when you're doing that? So the first day when you go and you just write down everything you eat and then you look at it and you're like, okay, this is this is way too much food for one person. How did this even? How do you fit? know that? So you, you go know and then you like you you have the calculate. I calculate okay, like this food or this energy, and then you're like okay, the stomach is the size of your fist, and I just ate this big huge watermelon about a white chocolate cookie or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so how did that even? But it's fit? mostly water. Yeah, <laughs> it's a watermelon. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. So then, and then it will be like, okay, this is this many calories. And so then you would go and you'd say, okay, this is how many calories that, you know, my little five, two size person needs, you know, that is moderately active. I'm not even going to say that I'm like very active. I did do like a 10 mile hike, but it's moderately active is good, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you go and say, cause that's not what I do every day. And then be like, okay, I need, mm-hmm. you know, this many calories. Okay. Well, wait, I just ate. 500 more calories than that. So this needs to go somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then when you start food generally, then you go and say, okay, this is that I need to be more mindful. Okay, I'll go and take, you know, we'll have breakfast right after fudger. Okay, then when I come back and, you know, before work or something, and I'm taking like my medicine, let me just take, you know, a, you know, an apple, you know, and make sure that it's just like that apple. Oh, well, okay, if you're hungry, then let's go and have these nuts for backup. This this size nuts already pre-portioned and just grab this nuts. Mm-hmm. And so also like you would have to like prep your like kind of meals or your snacks. So then you know that you're just picking up that. And it also has to be something that you like. If you have meal preps and it's like completely not yeah. something you like, that that's... Psh- I'm not eating this. Let me, I already know that I am going to make, you know, an extra batch of cupcakes. It is not going to be that hard to go and make it like a double batch. So what I'm hearing is when you're writing the food down, it's easier. So it's less like you're, you're mindfully eating, but you don't have to spend a lot of that time obsessing and thinking and planning about it. Right. So you've already written it down. If you've written it down ahead, that's awesome. But also when you write it down now, you're able to calculate and do some data and figure out what's going into your body and making adjustments for the next day, the next week, whatever. And then the consistency, right? Right. Like if it's done and it's one and done in one place, then you can stay consistent and true to yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're consistent with stuff that you like. Now, I completely agree with you. If you write stuff in your food diary, like I'm going to eat a wedge salad 
you know, for the next three nights. No, I'm not. Yeah. Like I'm going to go to my pantry and I'm going to bake the cupcakes (laughs) for me. It'll bake. I'll bake the brownies. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go bake the brownies. So, you know, Anything that you like to eat, I don't think is off limits. I don't even think brownies are off limits, to be really honest. If you plan it mm-hmm. and you put it in your meal plan and then portion control, that's, right. I think, another topic because I don't think food addiction at, in the beginning doesn't have anything to do with food control, uh, food portioning, because that's kind of what food addiction, binge eating, disordered eating is like, right? Like you don't already don't have the portion control. Mm-hmm. You'll figure that, that part out later. So what I noticed with my food journaling, <clears throat> when I was successful with losing weight, literally everything that hit my mouth, like even if I took a bite, ended up on the journal. Mm-hmm. And I didn't calculate calories because I can't do like that many digits in math. So I just did carbs, right? <laughs> so I would be able to see, okay, this next week is coming up. I'm going to buy these groceries. What meals am I going to make for my family? And what meals am I going to make for me? And I would calculate the carbs for just myself because I didn't really need to for my family. And I would be able to see, okay, these are the carbs that I'm intaking. If this is the carbs that I'm taking, that on Sundays, this is, you know, I can go nuts. And Sundays was my go nuts day. But I would never recommend that now because it hurts if you go nuts after a week of good eating. You'll be on the toilet crying. Um, So don't do that. Um, But in any case, I was able to see exactly what I planned to put in my body. So I didn't spend, you know, in the afternoon when you're at work, you're like, oh my God, I have to get home. I have to cook. What am I going to do? Oh, I forgot to thaw the meat. I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. But I wrote it all. So like before I left for work, I tossed that chicken in the sink. Yes, I thaw my chicken in the sink. All the food dietitians and food safety people don't come audit my house. I know you're supposed to do it a different way, but I learned to do it in the sink. That's where I do it. So, um, you know, it was already done. And I could see that if on a day where my carb count was higher, I would just make up for it later the next day. So it would also help me adjust my food and that helped me maintain my weight. Now, why did the pandemic uh, change all of that? Because I just stopped writing it down. You know, I took it for granted. I'm home anyway. I'm not going anywhere anyway. So I know exactly what's here. All the food is right here. So I don't have to plan. I'm not at work freaking out about what do I have to come home and cook. So I just won't write it down. So when you don't write it down, now you lose your accountability. Mm -hmm. Because now I'm not doing what I told myself I'm going to do because I didn't make myself a map. And we're Muslims. We all have maps. Like we have the Quran, it's already written down for us. It tells us what to do. So we are a people of education and a people of literacy and definitely a people of accountability. So when we take that, remove that accountability from ourselves via the food journal, diary, whatever you guys want to call it, the food log, you know, it can be an app, it can be written, it can be anything but in your head. Because if it's in your head, remember that you have this like path, a pathologized part of your brain now that is looking for where is my next hit. And it will find it because your brain, that primitive brain is a lot smarter than we are. And it (laughs) will give you you excuses. It'll give you all the excuses you needed, why you ate that, why you went there, why did you do this? Yeah. And if I'm working in like the pharmacy, like the retail pharmacy doing whatever, you know, needs to be done, um, which is now probably like the inventory or the checks and stuff that are, um, we had um, a need for immunizers and stuff. And they're like, oh, Sami, I need you back in the office. I need you. That. And I'm like, what do you mean back in the office? You mean you go to the corporate office? No, no, no. I need you to go to this store on this day. They're having a clinic. And there is a whole wall of Ben and Jerry's right there. 
whole wall of different ice creams, uh-huh. a whole thing of chips right there. And you're mm-hmm. like, hmm, is there anything healthy in this store? Nope. Oh, there's some carrot sticks. That does not look good. Um, oh, there's there's milk. Um, hmm. <laughs> you know, and I mean, yes, I did go and drink, you know, like the milk or sometimes there's like cheese sticks. There's that. But I mean, most often it would be, you know, the spicy chips or mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the smart things. food. That's you also know? a current obsession. It's popcorn. It's called smart food. But eating the whole bag is not smart, Uzma. Yes, there, there's big, huge, giant size popcorn bag. The 9.75 ounces, yep. Mm-hmm. And it would be gone, <laughs> you know, by the time I'm finished immunizing whatever yeah. clinic I had, it would be gone. They're like, yeah. oh. And then they're like, oh, did you eat lunch? No, I didn't eat lunch. I just had some popcorn. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. that, that that's that's the whole meal right there. You yeah. know, more yeah. than a meal. And, you know, that's part of it. Like, we're able to convince ourselves that we're okay, we're doing all right. Like, this isn't that big a deal. Because I'm not in the clinic that often. Like, I only go into work two days a week, right? So it's like, if I were to do anything at work, like partake of a a special lunch or a buffet or a birthday celebration, all the stuff that happens at work. Oh, what's not a big deal? I'll make up for it later tonight. But then later tonight, like I'm chauffeuring, you know, four different kids to seven different activities, So in between, I'm popping stuff in my mouth. And now I don't have time, quote unquote, to catalog it. So I'm just going to keep it in my head and remember. And no, I'm not because my brain is very good at removing all the information that I need for the information that's important to it, which is where is my next bag of smart food coming from? Where is my next ice cream coming from? Have you ever skipped um, the healthy meal, like didn't sit down with the family to eat because you decided that you were going to go have ice cream for dinner yes or something else well, for dinner yeah like the kids are eating that oh I, I have some errands or whatever to do, do right now y'all eat and then you know i'll meet up and by the time it's sit down and i'm eating my own thing i i'm not eating the dinner that i prepared for mm-hmm, everybody else mm-hmm, it, there's exactly. no veggie you know that um you know, and I, you know, and I'll tell everybody, you know, oh, we have this little plate, you know, the government has this new thing called my plate, or it's not new, really, it mm-hmm. is there, but it'll tell you portions, right. you know, it's, it's a good portion thing to tell you what size portions you should make on your plate, doesn't always work, right? You know? Like, you'll go and say, hey, you want this, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to take a plate out, we're just gonna, you know, it's gonna be an extra thing to wash, let me just, you know, grab this thing from here, grab that thing from there, and if you're not cataloging it, if you're not paying attention, that is a lot more than you think that you should be or would should be eating or would yeah, be fitting yeah. on that plate. Yeah, I think the plate is helpful if you're <clears throat> open to considering that we have that problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we think that we have food addiction. And I think, again, go back <clears throat> to the DSM-4. We'll link it in our notes for people to take a look at to see because there's actually very few studies done on it. There's more studies done on adults on food addiction and disordered eating than there are on children and adolescents, which is insane because growing up, I thought like bulimia, anorexia, all the uh, food um, eating disorder stuff 
was primarily in teenagers. At mm-hmm. least that's the literature that we were reading and the types of novels and stuff that we read in middle school. Right. Um, so that's shocking to me. But I think food addiction in particular, that and not the under eating, right? The starving ourselves to death has not been studied in teens and adolescents. And it really needs to. And I think the only way it will start is when we start getting the push from the moms because moms get stuff done. Um, so I think that that's important. But in the meantime, um, can you go back and tell us again, uh, just a little bit more specifically, treatment-wise, what are you doing and have you recruited your doctor on your team to do this now? So, Or if not, who have you recruited, I guess? I um, actually recruited um, like my sister or my friend who does like personal training and like my, like my mom and we're like now is like more like that I'm more accountable to more people, you know, cause my doctor, I'll see her once a year, maybe twice a year. If she yeah. says that I need a medic, you know, to go in for like refills, but she, you know, she knows like, you know, she'll be like, okay, when we go in there, it's more like a f- friendlier thing. Cause it's like, she know, like she'll go and ask me, oh, does my you know so and so's refills taken care of? I'm like, yeah, this is done. I mean, you know, or I'll you know, and then she'll be like, okay, she's clicking the boxes in her electronic health record, yeah, you know, and so it's just like that, and then she knows what I do and I know what her do. So she's like, she she doesn't have that much like, okay, you don't need that much handholding. You know what you need to do, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, mm-hmm. no, I have this problem. I need your help, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's like, but she like for her, it's like, oh, you know, it's not a problem. Like the other things are like the problem, you know, like your hyperlipidemia. Mm-hmm. Well, I have hyperlipidemia now because I'm eating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If I exactly. wasn't eating the, source. the, the things, yeah. then I wouldn't have this issue. So it's basically your sister and your trainer right now. Yep. And what are they doing for you? So they'll be, you? they'll be like, okay, let's go out to the park. Oh, did you, um, let's go and make the, the food journals. And then the trainer would be like, okay, you know, um, she is um, completely like vegan. Actually, I love her to bits. She's crazy, but like, she'll be, she'll be <laughs> like, okay, let's go and put in, did you get, did you make your own salad? Did you put in your own um, nuts? It, like, how many meals did you have with, you know, no sugar and no, you know, um, you know, no meat in it or something? And I'm like, wait, a meal without sugar? Wait, that those mm-hmm. exist? Wait, What's but even that? my tea, my tea <laughs> needs sugar in it. They're like, no, it doesn't. You can put some honey in it. You can put like other things in it. You can get like an herbal tea. And we're like, hmm. But, but the Starbucks is right over there. You know, and while BMI is associated with food addiction, there is a direct correlation. You know, there are a lot of people who look, um, you know, and I'll say that I look like I have a normal BMI. I'm borderline, but I know I have a food addiction and I have my whole life. And there's a lot of us out there. We just have, I think we're underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed as you have experienced yourself. And, you know, we just need to, start taking ownership and start naming it, taming it and getting better inshallah, taking control because as Muslims, we can't be addicted to anything, right? Even food, which is such a blessing, but you know, it can also be a curse. Well, this is awesome catching up with you and talking about, I think a really under talked topic. Um, and I really, really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. 
Thanks again for joining Zeba and Usman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.